For more presentations like this, visit www.xenos.org. Hey everybody, welcome back to Dwell Community Church. This is our Thursday night college CT that we've been doing for the past six weeks or so over the internet. Tonight, we're going to be looking at a very interesting portion of Jesus's ministry where he breaks onto the scene. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1, the baptism of Jesus. I know I said we were going to cover the temptation of Jesus as well, but there wasn't time for that. We'll get to that next week. Tonight, we'll look at the baptism of Christ. But before we look at the scripture, I'll pray. Lord, we're so thankful that you love us. We're thankful that you're clear in your word, that you tell us that, Lord. You're not some sort of a just a computer. You're not some sort of a robot, but you want a personal relationship with us, Lord. And I pray that tonight as we see your, as we see the Father's relationship with the Son, that we would understand something about the kind of relationship you want with us and that we would see just the lengths you went to to prepare Jesus for the mission that you gave him. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's official. The 2020 Olympics are not happening this year. They've been pushed back to 2021. I know that's very disappointing for many of us who are looking forward to those. And some people are like, why are we canceling the Olympics already? It's, they're not until late July. Why can't we wait to see if things get better? And then we'll cancel them at that point. Well, the reason is because the Olympics aren't the sort of thing that you can just pull off last minute. They're not like your grandma's 60th birthday party. It's going to take more than a trip to Costco to get ready for these things. There are several million visitors that were to descend on Tokyo for the Olympic Games. Uh, not to mention there were uh, scores of venues that they needed to get ready to host the events that would eventually hand out over 300 Olympic gold medals. Not to mention that there was all the athletes and their preparation schedules. Athletes, they have, they've got a schedule they have to be on when they're going to compete. You know, runners, they don't just show up and run. Uh, wrestlers, they don't just throw on a onesie and start wrestling. Uh, Speedwalkers, you know, you, you don't just show up and walk. There's a whole complicated ramp up to that that a lot of us just wouldn't understand. And so when it's something that big, it takes a lot, a lot of preparation. Or even think about something smaller. You think about the Columbus Marathon. I bet there's people watching this video cast who are already preparing for the Columbus Marathon, even though it's only six months. It's, it's all, it's, even though it is six months away. I've got friends who are saying, today I've got to run four miles. And I'm like, it's six months away. What are you worried about that for? You've got to be free. Just run, man. And that's really the difference between somebody who's successfully run a marathon, like my friend, and me, who will never successfully run a marathon. Again, it's a big thing and it takes preparation. And what we're going to look at tonight in the Gospel of Mark is something huge. In fact, it's hard to imagine anything bigger, anything that required more preparation than what we're going to see here in Mark chapter 1. What we see here is the opening ceremony for an event that God has been planning since before the beginning of time. You see, when we read our Bibles, we see a perfect world created by God, a world where humans were never supposed to die, a world where there was never supposed to be diseases that would infect and kill millions of people. 
And yet, we read on the early pages of Scripture that our, our first ancestors, they turned away from God. They rebelled against God. And they broke this perfect world that God made. And as a result, now we have the mess of our world that we have today. But what God said at that time, and he predicted this on the earliest pages of the Bible, is that he was not just going to leave us in this mess. He was going to send a promised one who would show up and who would set things right in this world, who would heal this world. And it took a lot of preparation. We see God preparing for this throughout the Old Testament. We see 1,200 years of the writing of Scripture with hundreds of predictive prophecies of all sorts, many of which relating to this promised one. Then we see another 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testament. Jesus was born then at just the right time. God prepared just the right social and political climate. God prepared John the Baptist who was tasked with preparing the way for this chosen one. God had Jesus born at just the right place at just the right time, and he prepared him during 30 years of obscurity. And now, on the doorstep of Jesus' public ministry, God has a few more things that he's going to do to prepare him. Yeah, a lot of so-called messiahs, they just show up and announce themselves, not with Jesus. He was announced and prepared by many others leading up to him. And so we're going to see two events. This week we'll look at the baptism of Jesus, and next week we'll look at the temptations of Jesus, each of which was important and preparatory for the public ministry that would follow. And so we read in Mark chapter 9, chapter 1, verse 9, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And so Jesus bursts onto the scene here, after John the Baptist has been preparing the way, and it says that he came from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, growing up in Galilee, this was not something to be real proud of. Galilee did not have the prestige of the big cities like Jerusalem or Caesarea. It was kind of a little bit of a backwater kind of country area. Um, In fact, they had their own special accent that would give Peter away on the night of Jesus' crucifixion. But... Growing up in Nazareth was even worse. You know, Nazareth, completely obscure, not mentioned in the Old Testament, not mentioned in the Talmud, not mentioned in any of the writings of Josephus. It was that insignificant. And they even had a saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, know when there's a proverb like that, that this place is a really, it's not a prestigious town. And yet, this growing up in Nazareth of Galilee, this Obscurity was part of Jesus' preparation. He was there for 30 years, learning wisdom, learning how relationships work. He was building relationships, some that were important, that no doubt would be part of his later ministry. He was building stuff. He was a builder. He was a carpenter. You know, he wasn't going to have a home. He's going to be building some temporary shelters along the way, toughening up. You ever see a carpenter's forearms? I bet Jesus had some guns on him especially in a day before power tools. Jesus was learning how to be faithful, how to be faithful to God in obscurity. And that, that is something that you simply can't rush. He was caring for his family as well. He probably buried his father during this time. Joseph probably passed away sometime between when Jesus was 12 and when he began his ministry. And so he had a mom. He also had at least six younger siblings, four, 
Four brothers plus sisters, it says in the Gospels. And he would have taken care of them as well. And so he's being prepared as he grows up in Nazareth of Galilee. But now it's time for what comes next. He was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. It might leave some of us wondering, why is Jesus getting baptized? That's a good question. Think about, we talked about what John was teaching last week. What was one thing John was teaching? You need to confess your sins. But Hebrews 4.15 says Jesus was without sin. He had no sins to confess. John said you need to repent. You need to head a different direction toward God. Well, John 14.6 says Jesus is the direction. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so how can he head a different direction? John says, you need to look to the one who's coming after me. Well, Jesus is the one coming after John. And so how can he look to that one when he is that one? In fact, John says, I'm unworthy to tie the coming one's, the promised one's sandals. And yet he's baptizing, and that seems like much higher than untying his shoes. And so why is Jesus getting baptized? That's a good question. You know, even John's confused. When Jesus shows up, Matthew tells us about this conversation. It says, John tried to prevent him. John said, I have need to be baptized by you. And you come to me? You know, John didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. He knew he was sent to announce the Messiah. And God said, I'm going to tell you when the time is right who the Messiah is. And John would have known Jesus. They were cousins. They would have seen each other growing up. Who knows how much? But it was this day when Jesus comes to get baptized that God finally communicates to John, this is the one. And John says, I've been telling everybody, my baptism is only a picture of the baptism that you will bring, the baptism, the cleansing of the Holy Spirit. And he says, you don't need my baptism. I need your baptism. Give me that baptism. And what does Jesus say? He says, John, we need to permit it at this time. For in this way, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And so what does Jesus say? He says, John, no, you can't have my baptism. In fact, John would be denied that baptism. John belonged to a different era. Jesus says, this here, you know, he doesn't disagree with what John says. That Jesus is greater than John. But he says, we need to just... We need to let this happen. We need to, we're going to permit this. And he says, at this time, there's, there's a nowness to this whole thing. There's a this right now, this is what needs to happen now. Other things are going to happen later. But at this time, this, this is what we need. And he says, this is fitting for us. You know, it's almost like my baptism just doesn't fit. It, do, it doesn't fit you, John. John was the end of the Old Testament era. He was the last of the prophets. And he says... We need to, there's something being fulfilled here by not just Jesus, but by us, Jesus says, in this exchange that is about to follow. Well, it says immediately. Jesus baptized immediately coming up out of the water. There's our immediately. It's first of 41 in the book of Mark. Immediately. Jesus came out of the water and he saw the heavens opening. They tore open. It's violent language there. And the spirit, like a dove, descending upon him. And a voice came from the heavens. And what did it say? You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. 
we hear the voice of the Father speaking directly to the Son. Well, there's several things happening here. It says the Spirit came down like a dove descending upon Jesus. We see the Holy Spirit take some sort of a bird-like form, a dove-like form. It descended. It rested upon him. This is Old Testament language being echoed here. It says in Isaiah 11, out of the stump of David's family will grow a new shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the Spirit of Yahweh will rest on him. David's family. David was kind of the ultimate ancestor of the Messiah. And he says, you know, David's family, his tree, his family tree is like this gnarly old olive tree. It's like, this thing looks like it's been dead for a long time. Olive trees are fascinating because olive trees, they don't grow like normal trees. You can't just cut them in half and count the rings because their growth pattern is so strange. You know, here's a picture of an olive tree I took when I was over in Israel. And you can see it's just super wide and gnarly and it's going all these different directions. And what will happen is it'll look totally dead and dried up. And then all of a sudden there'll be a little boop and a new shoot will come out. And that shoot might reinvigorate this whole tree. It might grow up and, and kind of merge with the tree. And he says, that's what it's going to be like with the Messiah. And the shoot is going to come up. And the pictures of this spirit coming down and, and resting on that shoot from that dried up old gnarly olive tree that was David's family. Yeah, there hadn't been a Davidic king on the throne in 600 years, over 600 years. And here now a new shoot is coming up and the spirit of God is resting upon him. And what does the voice say? God says, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. He's quoting a couple of Old Testament scriptures here. The beginning of this is from Psalm 2-7. This was a royal psalm about the royal prince kingly psalm. But then, it's a quote from Isaiah. You bring me great joy. This is one of the servant songs. He says, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. That's exactly what's happening here. God is saying, my soul delights in this servant and I have put my spirit upon him. And that is what he is announcing from heaven. That is what he is saying to Jesus here in this moment. And we see here one of the many Bible verses that teaches the Trinity. The Trinity, yes, you see all three members of the Godhead here. You see God the Spirit descending like a dove. You see Jesus in the water, the Spirit is descending upon him, and you hear the voice of the Father coming from the heavens. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You know, some people talk about the Trinity and there's this this heresy called modalism, which says that there, you know, God is one, that's true. But the three members of the Trinity, they're really not three. It's like God kind of runs off stage and runs back on and he's dressed as the Father. And then he runs off stage and comes back on and he's dressed as the Son. And then he runs off stage and back on and he's dressed as the Spirit. But that can't be here, can it? We see all three on stage at the same time. And hence, we have three in person, one in essence the great mystery of the Trinity. Also, some people teach um, a heresy known as the adoption theory. And that theory is that Jesus, up until this point in his life, was just a man. But at this moment, God adopted him, and he made him the son, or something like that. But it's clear from verses like John 1.1, it says, in the beginning, the word, referring to Jesus, 
was God. And so from the very beginning, the word was both God and was with God. He was with God in the beginning. And so he's always been God the Son. The Trinity has always been a thing. And he was not adopted at this moment in time into God's family or anything like that. So why did Jesus get baptized? This is a question we want to think about here. Why did Jesus get baptized? There's a couple reasons. One, there was a fulfillment aspect here. Remember what he said to John? This is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. Part of what's happening here is this is part of the wrapping up of the Old Testament era. You have John the Baptist. Jesus said last week, there's no one greater in the kingdom of heaven than John the Baptist. Um, sorry, there's no one, no one up till now has been greater than John the Baptist, but even the least in the kingdom of heaven is going to be greater than him. And so John is the final prophet at the end of the old age, and he is anointing the final eternal king. Yes, in the Old Testament, it was the prophets who anointed the king. See Samuel going and anointing Saul and then anointing David. Well, here we have John the Baptist anointing the final eternal king. And so the Old Testament, it's almost like John is taking his little part in fulfillment and he's pouring it in and it's coming up a little higher. And all the Old Testament prophecies are getting filled, filled, and, and fulfilled. A second reason why Jesus got baptized is identification. Identification. Yes, Jesus is identifying with the people that he came to save. You know, Jesus, he's going to come as our substitute. And as our substitute, he took on a lot of things that he didn't have to take on. I mean, he left the, the comforts and the, the privileged spot of heaven. And he took on the form of a servant. And he became conformed. You know, he was obedient. Obedient even to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And so as our substitute, he came down. And he took on humanity. He's not a boss that sits in his office far aloof from everyone and everything. No, he's right down in there, in the midst of it, down there with the poor. You know, ultimately, this substitution is described in 2 Corinthians 5. This way, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so he took our place and our sin, and we took his place, the place of righteousness, the place of the Son. And when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for those sins so that we could become righteous. This is the great exchange. And so this is why he was born into poverty, laid in a manger. He grew up among the poor. He went through trials and temptations and all the things that we go through so that God, he's always been a God of compassion, but we see a new sympathy. We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with us, but one who's been tempted every way and yet is without sin. He knows what it's like. Whatever you're going through, Jesus can understand because he's been there or he's been in even a worse place. That's the God we follow and worship. And even receiving the Holy Spirit, I think this is part of this identification. You know, Jesus, he's, he's going through the things that we go through. He's being baptized, which is what he, he called on his followers to do, and also receiving the Holy Spirit. This is part of it. Here's a question. How did Jesus carry out his ministry? How did he remain sinless throughout his entire life? Some people say, well, he was God. Therefore, that's how he could do these miracles. And that's how he could resist sin. I'm not sure. I don't think so. No. What Scripture consistently says is that Jesus did the things that he did 
in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was able to do these things. The same Spirit who is available to me and you. You know, in Peter's sermon in Acts 2, he refers to the signs which God performed through Jesus. This was not in some inherent godhood that he was drawing on. No, he was drawing on the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, he was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Again, he resisted sin in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus, he did not lay aside his divinity or anything like that, because then he would cease to be God. But what he did was he, he laid aside the use of some of his divine attributes. That would be the best way to describe it. You know, he, he was able to use them, but like a great basketball player that decides to play you with one hand tied behind his back and hopping on one leg, that's what Jesus did. He laid aside the use of some of these divine attributes, and he walked by the Spirit. And this is, this is in some new and fresh and powerful way, we see the Spirit coming down on him. So how do we carry out our ministry? How do we resist sin? Well, also in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, this is the constant testimony of great men and women of God. There was nothing special about them. But they would say, I got filled up by God. I got filled up by his spirit. And that is where my power came from, to do anything from God. And this is a real danger. I, I think... It's not hard to fall into the danger of self-reliance. This is where we're operating not on the power of the Holy Spirit, but in the power of the flesh, Scripture calls it, in, in my own strength and self-reliance. And, you know, you might be able to function for a little while in self-reliance without the power of the Holy Spirit, but you're going to burn out pretty quick. You, know, you think about uh, those lanterns that you bring camping. I don't know if you've ever seen these. These are pretty cool. But you can fill the bottom up with this oil, this fuel. And then you have to buy a special wick. And the wick sits right down in that fuel, and it, it draws the fuel up into itself. And so when you light the lantern, the wick is not burning at all. What it's burning is the constant flow of the oil, the fuel coming up the wick. And that wick can basically, learn, can basically burn as long as you've got fuel. But if you've ever been around one of these lanterns when you run out of fuel, you can smell it. All of a sudden, you see my wick is getting fried. It smells really bad. It's kind of gnarly and crusty. And, um, you know, the same thing can happen to Christians. When they stop drawing from the fuel source of the Holy Spirit, you know, burnout is where the wick is burning instead of the oil. And we need to be sure that we've got our wicks down in that that whole that oil of the Holy Spirit. We need to make sure that we're drawing on the power that God supplies, and this, this is how we make it over the long run. And I think this is really good news. What it means is that anyone, anyone can be used by God if they're willing to depend on him. It's not about how fancy the wick is. That wick can burn up like that without the oil. The question is, where's your fuel supply? Are you drawing on the living water that Jesus promised would well up within anyone who received his spirit. And so we see this here in Jesus. Part of, part of his identification, he's, he's receiving the power of the Holy Spirit for this ministry God has for him. And third, and finally, why did Jesus get baptized? There's an affirmation here from God. 
the Father. That is very powerful. This was a sign that came directly from God the Father. And who was this sign for? Was it for the crowds? I always thought it was. I always thought the crowd saw this whole thing. But if you take a closer look, I think the text is a lot more ambiguous. Mark tells us he, Jesus, saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending on him. He, him. It says a voice came out of the heavens and it said, you, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Yeah, I mean, there's a handful of times in the Gospels and Acts where there's a voice from the heavens. It's very rare, actually. And in those cases, it often tells us if other people can hear the voice and what they heard. Sometimes they can't hear what it's saying. They just hear a sound. Sometimes it sounded like thunder. This may have been a vision that the crowds could not see or possibly the crowds weren't there. In any case, there's no, there's no real clear evidence that there were many crowds here that saw this. There was a sign for John the Baptist. John does testify to this. This was one of the ways that God said John would know who the Messiah was. He says in John 1, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon Jesus. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so John... This was a sign for him, and he needed to know this. John's popularity with the masses would then translate into him forcefully testifying, powerfully testifying that Jesus is the one. And this would be part of what was pointing to Jesus that God had prepared. But even here, I mean, it doesn't say anything about the voice. It just says he saw the Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. So John at least saw the dove. It's not clear he saw the voice either. The only one we know for sure that heard the voice was Jesus. This was a sign from God the Father for God the Son, Jesus. That's a little weird. Some of us are like, you know, so he says, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. I mean, God speaks so rarely from the heavens. You know, why is he using his words to tell Jesus this? I mean, what's the point of that? I mean, if God's going to speak, why don't you say something important? E equals MC squared. Um, the earth revolves around the sun. I don't know. Tell us something useful here. What's the point of just telling Jesus, you are my loved son and you bring me great joy? Well, if that's what you're thinking, there's something pretty important you don't understand about God. You know, God is not just a robot performing tasks and spitting out answers. This is not ask a Google. He's not just a disembodied brain. You know, Scripture uses a lot of different metaphors and images for God and his relationship to us, but a robot is not one of them. An image that's commonly used and one that is used here is that God is the Father. And what he's doing here is he's telling his son that he loves him. This is God telling his son, I love you so much and you bring me so much joy. I am so proud of you. That is what God says when he speaks from the heavens, one of the few times 
in the historical books of the New Testament. And, you know, this is something this I think is easier to understand if you're a father like me. I, I have two kids. I have a son and a daughter, and I love them so much. And they bring me so much joy, and I am so proud of them. And there's something very deep in a father's heart that feels that way. And, um, you know, I, I see this in new ways all the time. Um, one way I saw it was this winter I got the chance to coach my son's basketball team for the first time. Here I am with the team. As you can see, I've hidden the identities of the, everyone but me in this picture. But I'm up here with my son in the top right. And, you know, I had never been a coach for a team. And let's just be clear. I wasn't the coach. I was the assistant to the head coach. And I could see why parents get hooked on this sort of thing. It was pretty fun. You know, and our team, this was the 10 to 12-year-old league. And our boys were pretty much all 10, and they were little. You could tell. And uh, some, of the, some of the guys on the other team, we were getting killed the first couple games. And I think part of it is because, you know, some of these kids, if they're 12 years old... I want to see a birth certificate, okay? Uh, I mean, this one kid, you know, he had a full beard. Uh, I saw him drive himself to the game. And then we're in the middle of the game, and I see his, his kids in the stands cheering him on. I just thought, come on, man. So big compared to our little guys. But, you know, we practiced, and we hustled, and we started winning games. And I was so proud of these guys. I mean, I, I just can't tell you how proud I was of this team. And yet, the, the pride I had for the other players paled in comparison to when I saw my son, whenever he would make a good play, whenever he would score a basket, whenever I saw a hustle, whenever he grabbed a jump ball. There was something in my father heart that just went, yeah! I could, I, you know, I'd be like, okay, I'm the coach. I'm supposed to be impartial here. And then my son would make a good play, and I'm like, yeah, that's my boy. I think when you become a father, there's, there's some sort of rearrangement of the nervous system where there are certain impulses that just bypass the decision-making cortex of the brain. You know, normally a thought comes in and you decide whether to act on it, but when it comes to love for and the pride in your, in your kids, it's almost reflexive. I couldn't stop from cheering. That was just like a, a knee-jerk reaction because I was so proud of my son. And what I see here in Mark chapter 1 is I see this from God the Father. I see him going, yeah, I love you so much. You bring me so much joy and I'm so proud of you. This is what the Father is saying to the Son. And what Scripture tells us is that in Christ, you can be adopted by the Father. Can you believe that? Remember the great substitute? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, you can now have a special relationship with the God of the universe. Look at what it says in Romans 8, 15. Paul writes, you received the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and that spirit you received, he doesn't make you slaves so you live in fear again. There's no more fear of God. No. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Adoption. The spirit of adoption. And by that spirit, we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Dada. 
the primitive sounds, the first sounds that a baby can make. Abba. That's what they said back then in Aramaic. And he says that the closeness we can have with God is like a little boy or girl, a baby saying, Abba. He goes on, he says, and then that spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. He comes alongside and he assures you deep down in your heart that you are a child of God. We long for approval. We long for approval. Some of us have been longing for approval all of our lives, for the approval of a parent. This is why you're longing for the approval of God. And some of us, we didn't have a father or a dad. We never met him. He wasn't around much. And the idea of father brings a flood of thoughts and emotions. It might evoke feelings of anger, disappointment. Disappointment at what should have been and what never was. How he was never there. He let you down. We might have fearful memories come to mind. Some of the times we were most terrified, some of the times we were hurt the most in the deepest ways was because of our fathers or mothers. Terrible memories come to mind. Some of us were struck with a numbness. There's almost an amnesia where I can't remember any conversation with my father. I can't remember any tenderness. I just go blank. The thought of tenderness with a father, the thought of affection, goes blank. Or any affirmation just turned out to be manipulation after all. God wants to give you the spirit of sonship and revolutionize your idea of fatherhood. That's what he wants to do for you. That's one of the great aspects of the good news of Jesus Christ. And the spirit will testify to us that we're God's. How does he do that? There's a lot of different ways. Sometimes he'll speak through his word. That means we got to get into his word so he can speak to us. You know, it's probably five weeks ago when everything started coming out and we had just, you know, school was canceled. Pretty much all of our meetings were canceled. Everything was unknown. It was kind of a scary time. I sat down on a Friday morning and I didn't realize how disturbed I was, how unsettled I was, how scared I was at the time. And I opened up God's word and that day, God had me, first of all, in the book of Isaiah. And I read this. God has told his people, here is a place of rest. Let the weary rest here. This is a place of quiet rest. And I thought, that is what my soul longs for right now. I felt like God was speaking right to my heart. And then I flipped over to the Psalms. And I was in Psalm 46. And I read, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come. Be still and know that I am God. And I just felt so loved by God. Because what he was saying to me was, I know how you're feeling. And I want you to come to me. I am your refuge. I am your strength. This is a place of quiet rest. And this will be your stability for all the things that are coming. We got to get into his word if he's going to speak to us, though. He may speak through people as well. This is pretty cool when God does this. Sometimes God will send people into our lives. It's funny, I, um, in order to help focus when I pray, a lot of times I'll, I'll print my prayer list and I'll leave my phone at home and I'll grab a pen in case God has something to say and I'll just go on a walk. 
And uh, yesterday morning, I was on my prayer walk, and uh, I was getting kind of frustrated because here I was a half a mile in, and my mind's been all over the place, and I'm like, why can't I pray like I want to? And I was like, God, I need you to teach me to pray. I need your encouragement. God, I need that spirit of prayer that you promised in Romans 8. And I look over, and there's this lady working on her garden, and I, I say hi, and she goes, hi. She goes, you doing your prayer walk? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, oh, that's great. Keep that up. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> and I went on my way, and I just thought to myself, I think I've met that lady before. Maybe she's asked me what I was doing before. But I'm just going to take that as from the Lord. I'm going to take that as encouragement from him that I just need to keep trying to pray and learn along the way. Sometimes God will speak through a Bible teaching or a book that we're reading. Sometimes God will speak directly He will just directly meet our needs. A check will show up in the mail, an offer of help from a friend. Some of us may have had this recently. Sometimes it's just impressions from God as we pray, but God is seeking for ways, if we're willing to hear it, if we have ears to hear, he's saying, I love you, I'm listening, I'm looking out for you, and he will let us, he'll let us have some dry times. But it's because he wants to teach us to walk by faith. He wants to teach us to keep coming to him even during those times. We must look to God for our identity and affirmation. And otherwise, people are going to be big and God is going to be small and we'll have to prove ourselves and we'll be angry when we're not recognized and we'll be terrified of failure. But when God is big and people are small and we're looking to him for this identity and security, people will begin to take their proper perspective and we won't have to prove anything to anybody. We're not going to get angry and demand recognition because we're going to know that our Heavenly Father sees us and he loves us and we bring him great joy. And that's going to be enough. So Jesus, he's being prepared for his ministry. He's been baptized. This is fulfilling the Old Testament, fulfilling all righteousness. This is um, identification with the people he came to save. This is affirmation directly from the Father. And then it says, after this spiritual high, that immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness for a confrontation with none other than Satan himself. Yeah, sometimes it's coming off of the spiritual high, it's coming off the mountaintop experience where we'd like to stay, that we have to go back down into the valleys of suffering. And that is such a big event that we're going to have to put that off and talk about that next week. But in conclusion, what have we seen here tonight? We've seen that Jesus is now heading into the desert to face his ancient enemy, but he doesn't go alone. He goes with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and he goes full of the love and approval of the Father. And the good news I have for you is that you also can go into tomorrow with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You also can face tomorrow. You can go to bed tonight full of the love and approval of the Father. It is yours for the taking. If you're not a Christian, it means telling God, I want that. I want the Holy Spirit. I want to be your son or daughter. I want that security that I've been longing for. 
And God says, he will give that freely to you. You'll have the experience of Romans 5.5. 5. Paul says, we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And that's the good news. The Holy Spirit floods our heart with the love of God. And this can all be yours because of what Jesus, the Son, has done. And that's all we've got for tonight on the baptism of Jesus Christ. Next week, we're going to be looking at the temptation of Jesus. I'd like to close with some prayer. Lord, we thank you that you love us with that Father love, Lord. Thank you for showing us a bit of your Father heart tonight in this hearty approval, this affirmation of the Son. And thanks because of what he has done, you offer us your spirit. And that you can truly say of us that we are perfectly righteous and that we, more than that, we are your beloved son or daughter and that we bring you great joy. I pray we can know that love relationship with you. Amen. This study was recorded at Xenos Christian Fellowship and is copyrighted. You may freely copy and distribute it as long as you keep it intact and do not sell it.